Today's reading is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 to 23. It's on page 6 of your bulletins. Yet, it was good of you to share in my troubles. Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you only. For even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more be credited to your account. I've received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God. And my God will supply, will meet, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet all God's people in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's people here send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. All right. Well, this is it. We're finishing up our study of the book of Philippians. Uh, the final passage in this great letter. Uh, A joy to walk through this together with you over the last several months. So let's see what God has in store for us. But let me say a word of prayer. Let's pray. God, we pray for your blessing in this time because we need it. We need your word. We need you to speak into our lives. And that's exactly what you promised to do. That these words are your words and that your spirit really does come and make your words come alive, that we would hear your voice. So do that in this time, um, and do that in a way that changes our lives, that honors you, that gives you glory. Jesus, we want to worship you and love you, even in the way that we hear and receive your word. We pray this in your name. Amen. I wonder, when was the last time you received a thank you letter? Uh, When was the last time you received a thank you letter? Uh, These are meaningful things, aren't they? Uh, These little notes, and whether if it's a physical letter, that's sort of a dying breed, right? Or an email, or even a text message, or some way that someone conveyed to you gratitude for something that you gave them a gift can be really meaningful, right? Sometimes even moving when a person takes the time to share their appreciation with you. What was that like for you the last time you received something like that? The Apostle Paul closes his letter to the Philippian church with a mini thank you note. That's what we're looking at here. The Philippian Christians had sent him a quite generous gift. Paul has alluded to it several times throughout this letter. They provided financial support while he was in chains, in house arrest. And Paul here takes the time to say thanks to his dear friends. But here's what's interesting about what Paul wrote. He doesn't actually go on and on about the gift itself. You know, this is how I used it. Uh, This is what I spent it on. This is uh, sort of how it's being applied. 
I did this with it. I did that with it. And that would have been fine, of course. But rather, he focuses on praise for the Philippians for the way they gave this gift. How they served him with this financial gift that was given to him together with words and messages of encouragement to their imprisoned leader. And he does this, he communicates this to them through the language of sharing. He uses the word in verse 14, yet it was good of you to share in my troubles. And again in verse 15, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. The ancient word translated share here, it's actually a very rich word. We've seen it used a couple times throughout the letter of Philippians already. It's sometimes translated fellowship. It means more literally participate with. As in Paul is saying here in verse 14, you participate with me in my troubles by giving this gift of money to me. See, already he means his friends did something deeper than just throw coins at him, though they did, in fact, give him money. As one theologian scholar, Sinclair Ferguson, says about this passage, he says they, the Philippians, were not merely supporters, far less financiers, they were yoked together with him, sharing as they were able in his sufferings and in the relief of them. It's something far more intimate, something far more bonding, something far more personal, sharing our financial gifts, sharing. This passage is telling us that the grace of God makes us into sharing people who live in a sharing community. People who generously, yes, exchange hearts and lives and love, but more specifically here from this passage, we're learning about a people who share their financial resources, their money. What does that look like here? Paul gives us sort of the Philippians as a model, as a rich example of this sharing. And so we can pull out some principles. What are the characteristics of this kind of generous gospel sharing of our material resources? Let's start with this. Six different things. Six characteristics. We'll run through them quickly. Number one, Paul talks about what you might call elemental sharing. Sharing is elemental, elementary. It's basic. It's a beginner's commitment. Verse 15, moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, you gave. So, you gave when? After a long extended journey into spiritual maturity? No. After you had grown up the ladder of 
deeper and deeper theological knowledge? No. As you had progressed after years and years? No. Paul commends them because right from the start, once they were converted, once they had entered into a new relationship with God through Christ and his grace, immediately they expressed their faith and love for Christ through their sharing. Friends, sharing our material resources with those around us is gospel kindergarten. I don't mean to say that we make light of the costliness or the challenge that that is. But what we have to understand is this sort of generosity in Scripture is always presented as ordinary spirituality. It's a mark of real Christianity. In fact, I think Scripture would go as far as to say it's so central to the life of people who call themselves followers of Jesus that if you refuse to share, if you're just hardened off from sharing, if you're always trying to weasel your way out of sharing, it might be the case that you don't know truly the God who shared himself with you. Sharing is for beginners. It's elemental. And in fact, it's why it's important for those of us who are parents or all of us who are engaged in the lives of the spiritual development of kids in this church and neighborhood to be instructing them on this commitment as well. That giving and sharing money and resources is part of gospel Christianity. That we're inviting them into that practice, that habit of giving things away. Do our kids know that? Are our adults, us, learning this? Sharing is elemental. Secondly, sharing is always meant to be mutual. Not just elemental, also mutual. In verse 15, Paul describes the Philippians' gifts to him as the matter of giving and receiving. Giving and receiving. It's so easy to think of sharing only as a one-way street, especially if you're someone that's been blessed with a lot of stuff, or a lot of money, or a lot of resources, or even a medium amount of money. There's always someone else that appears to have greater needs that you are simply responsible towards. The Bible gives us a different picture. It's that all of us have different needs. Some of our needs are more visible, like financial needs, or maybe health or physical needs. Some are more invisible, like loneliness in the heart, or depression, or addiction, or a broken relationship at home far from the public's eye. But here's the bottom line. We are all needy, just in different ways. And we're all needy for the help of God and His grace and the healing power of the Holy Spirit. We all have needs, and we all have different gifts 
given by God in order to be spent on other people's needs. Again, whether if those are material needs or emotional needs, every person has something to give away. Whether if it's skills to help a person write a resume to apply for a job that they need. Or if it's relationship, the ability to just be present, a friend in a time of need. Or if it's money, and all of us have some of that to some degree, do you think of your financial resources as a gift from God to be given as a gift to others? Meeting needs, but in mutuality. Where you might be giving on one level, but you are to receive on another level. You might be able to meet a neighbor or a friend's needs financially, but you absolutely should expect to have the sort of reciprocity with an open heart where you are ready to receive relationally or emotionally or maybe even physically and materially. Maybe not in equal measure, but in real measure. All of us are called to be engaged in giving and receiving a true partnership a true friendship in the church, in the neighborhood, a mutual kind of sharing. Thirdly, and relatedly, we're called to a relational kind of sharing. Not just elemental and mutual, but relational. We're getting there already, aren't we? God is calling us to engage with one another as people, especially in the church community, as brothers and sisters in Christ. In the second half of verse 18, Paul says this, I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. I've talked about this a couple weeks ago. But the, uh, fi uh, the Philippians sent one from amongst them, a brother, a friend, a, a person in the church named Epaphroditus, who was both the messenger as well as the carrier of this gift over to where Paul was. It was such a uh, dangerous and costly journey that Epaphroditus got very sick. He almost lost his life, we're told, earlier in Philippians. But think about the picture here. Of course, there was no UPS back then. No other way to send a gift except through a personal courier and carrier. That is true. But at the same time, it illustrates the principle that even financial gifts need to be delivered through the vehicle of real relationship. Then in a sense, we're called to give our hearts away before you give your stuff away. But not either or, both. To not simply throw resources at people, but absolutely to give generously, beginning with your heart, your life. You might even say, as we meet one another's needs financially, we should also have the integrity of asking ourselves, have I also given of my time? Have I also given of my emotional space? Have I also given of my mental space, my prayerless space? Have I given myself as God has given himself to me? Rather than just give, drawing a line 
in the financial ledger of our lives and saying, that far, but no farther. Even our financial generosity is meant to be given through the vehicle of real relationships. Fourthly, we're called, and the Philippians models, model for us, a certain kind of sharing that you might call committal sharing. <laughs> a sharing that actually invites commitment. Second half of verse 16. For even when I was in Thessalonica, Paul says, you sent me aid more than once. The Philippians, they showed up again and again and again. They were committed to Paul. They were committed to partnering, to sharing with him in his need, which resulted in giving more perpetually over time. And the point here, of course, is not that you can't give a one-time gift or that there's anything wrong or morally inferior about one-time gifts. That's not the point. The point is, are you willing to commit to serving a financial need, a neighbor, a friend's life, no matter the length of commitment? Have you ever done that before? Given yourself to a person in such a way? If you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan as Jesus told it, where this just radically generous, surprisingly generous stranger picked up a man that had gotten beaten up, almost killed by robbers on the side of the street, left there for the dead. He picks him up, cares for him, then leaves him with an innkeeper. And according to Jesus' story, he gave two silver coins to the innkeeper and said, look after him, I'll reimburse you an extra expense when I get back. Not just drive-by compassion, but committed compassion, says Jesus. That this is the call of sharing in one another's life. In other words, it's a way of life. Not simply a one-time thing or a duty to check off. It's a mindset and attitude and a habit of life to give of material possessions, to not be satisfied to say, I've done enough, I'm done, but to seek out then additional ways that we can express this sort of committal sharing. Fifthly, Paul points us to what you might call sacrificial sharing, and this will be familiar in many ways, not just elemental or mutual or relational or committal sharing, but here sacrificial sharing. The Philippians gave to Paul, and one thing we know about them was that they actually didn't have a lot to give. They were what you might legitimately call a poor church. We're told this in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, which 
was a letter to a quite wealthy church. Paul was pointing to the Philippians, who were also Macedonians. That's a regional designation. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, he's referring to these guys, saying they gave even out of their poverty because of the joy of Christ that was within them. They even begged for the opportunity to give to others who they saw as having even greater needs. And in fact, it's probably why Paul says in the beginning of this passage here, commending the Philippians for giving when they were, in fact, the only church at that time that had given. When I set out from Macedonia, verse 15, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. Probably because the other churches were like, we don't got much to give. And here are the Philippians giving even out of their poverty, sacrificially, costly generosity. Because do you understand that you can actually be generous, even lavish in your gift giving and not be sacrificial? If you're only giving out of your surplus and spare change. It's worth pondering when we give and sometimes even when we commend ourselves for our giving, do we give only out of the leftovers after we've met our own needs? I'm not saying that this doesn't require a whole host of wisdom and discernment. But do you feel the call, at least, to give sacrificially as you have been given to in Christ? And of course, sacrificial giving often means doing it all alone when it's not the popular thing to do and when it's not the trendy or faddish thing to do. Not simply when a tragedy or travesty hits and everyone's doing it. But again, Paul commends the Philippians for giving when they were the only ones who gave. Do you know that in our giving... Sometimes we need to expect that we'll need to step out and go at it alone. That once in a while the gospel should prompt you to share when other people think it's foolish to share. That the gospel once in a while should move us to give when no one else is giving, not just when it's popular. Because even for Jesus, it wasn't a popular thing to hang on the cross. Sometimes, no, all the time, we're called to give in a sacrificial manner. Sixthly and lastly, Paul points us to what you might call spiritual sharing. His sharing that's spiritual. He describes the Philippians' gift with some intriguing words. I don't know if you noticed it. He says in verse 18, 
I've received full payment and have more than enough. I'm amply supplied now that I've received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. What does he say about the gifts? They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. This language of an aroma, a fragrance, a sacrifice pleasing to God, for any Jewish reader of Paul's day, and certainly to Paul himself, anyone that was familiar with the Old Testament Hebrew scriptures, those words would have just jumped out at them as familiar language for the many kinds of sacrifices that you found in the Old Testament. Paul is drawing from the language of ritual sacrifices, not the kind that symbolically pointed to the need for a substitute to atone for one's sins, to cover your guilt. No, not that kind. This language is used for what you might call a praise offering, a love offering. This is the kind that was offered up to God by the people of Israel in the Old Testament simply as an act of love of worship and whether if it was an animal or if it were your produce you would burn it and it would almost be a symbolic meal that God would eat together with his people and he would kind of symbolically say and it smells so good <laughs> God in the kitchen taking in the aroma of what you are offering up to him because he sees your heart of praise. This is what Paul is evoking when he is saying, Dear Philippians, when you have given to me, don't you know you have not just given to me, you've given to your God. That this is not simply an act of charity or simply an act of human generosity. But this is true spirituality. This is an act of worship to the eternal King. And he sees even your smallest act of sharing giving towards someone else's need and he smells it as an aroma of fragrance and he says, well done my servant. With your gift I am well pleased. This is as spiritual an activity, this sort of sharing, as is praying and singing and even studying God's word. The language here, of course, is the language that's often applied in the Old Testament to priests who are preparing these offerings. Dear friends, in your sharing, you are believers who are priests before the Lord. Do you understand that your giving is never just about you and the other person, as much of a blessing as it is to them? Every act of sharing is a blessing unto your God. It's sharing that is elemental, that's mutual, that's relational, committal, sacrificial, and spiritual. 
Dear friends, how does this shape our individual giving and sharing of our resources? Is there someone in your life that God might be prompting you to give towards, to meet needs with, yes, relational reciprocity, to give of your heart and your life as well as your goods, to do it as an act of worship unto God, to be committed in this, not as a single act, but as a lifestyle and a commitment of love. What does it look like to do this individually? What does this look like to do this as a community, both in our giving to the church, with the real needs that we do have as a community as we seek to bring along an additional assistant pastor, Lord willing, in the coming year as we seek to expand our mission and our outreach into the neighborhood, as we grapple with a lot of uncertainty as to our building and our facilities, whether if God keeps us here long term or if he moves us elsewhere, as we know that the costs of even basic missional needs like a building will only be going up. What does it look like for us to live with this sort of disposition of sharing as motivated by the gospel? And dear friends, it does need to be motivated by the gospel. And let's finish with this thought. What's the power to share like this? Talked about six characteristics. How can we give like that? Why can we give like that? Do you notice the Apostle Paul doesn't miss the fact that the people he's addressing, including us, need this word of assurance, need to be given this key to unlock this door of generosity? How do we do it? Paul gives us a hint. No more than a hint. He gives us a promise. Verse 19. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Dear people who are called to share, who are called to sacrificially meet the needs and therefore divest themselves, yourselves, myself, of resources and possessions and money and therefore security, comfort, ease. How do you do that? With the confidence that my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus so that you can give and give and give and you will lack nothing. Jesus will meet every one of the deepest true needs of yours, which doesn't mean at times there aren't going to be moments or even seasons where you feel doubled over in want of things. But Paul is reminding his dear friends who have loved him so well, 
that all the riches of Christ's heavenly resources, which are infinite and eternal, are available to us. That we are never in, God, that God is never in debt to any one of his children because he has always outdone even himself in lavish love in meeting our needs. So much so that the apostle here in fact says this, I have received full payment and more than enough. And of course he's talking about the gifts that came from the Philippian church and he's saying it was a great gift. It met my needs, but I think he's alluding to even more. Because literally what he's saying there in those words is I have received all and I am rich. Don't you know you can only give sacrificially even radically if you know that no matter how much of your stuff that you give away because of your Savior you are always rich because why is it that we struggle to give is it simply because we're greedy there's that. Is it because we're selfish? Yes. Is it because we're lazy and we just kind of don't motivate? And mo yes. But if we examine our hearts and our lives, oftentimes one of the biggest reasons why, or maybe the reason underneath these reasons why we are slow to give of our money and possessions to others that need, is because we're afraid. I mean, I honestly ask you, as we were going through the whole first part of this, how many of us almost instinctively started thinking about, well, I don't know if I can give like that. I've got needs. Or I can barely make rent. Or I'm kind of counting my account right now. And Because when we feel this call and... If you've been walking the Christian life and hearing God's word for a long time, you are very clear that this call is there and applied to you. But we're afraid. If I give, does that mean I'm going to lack? If I give, am I going to be left in emotional and spiritual bankruptcy? If I give... Who's going to give to me? If I commit myself to meeting needs, who or what is going to meet my needs? And so rises up the apostle to reassure us, let me tell you who. His name is Jesus. Christ Jesus, who has an eternal treasure chest of resources to care for you emotionally and spiritually and yes even physically that out of that storehouse with all the character of the one who is eternally and lavishly generous he is committed 
covenantally committed to meeting all your needs. Because he has, don't you know, already given himself to meeting your greatest need. And that is your need for forgiveness of sins. Your need to be reconciled to God because we are greedy and selfish and possessive and unsharing. Let's be honest, we're guilty, every one of us. And so deserving God's wrath and judgment for the filth of our own hearts. Yet here is the Savior who said, there is a need that I can meet, that it is my joy to meet. This Jesus who, yes, participated with our trouble. Yes, shared with our troubles and needs. That very same word, participate with, that Paul actually used earlier in Philippians chapter 2. When he's talking about the way that Christ's Spirit actually puts us in partnership with Christ. Christ who shared himself with us. Christ, the one who though equal with God, made himself nothing, took on the nature of a servant became a human being, humbled himself unto death on a cross for you and me, dying the death that I should have died for the forgiveness of my sins, for the counting of me and my broken life as righteous before him. In other words, treating me as if I have shared perfectly with all those around me even when I haven't, blessing me as God is committed to blessing the only one who shared perfectly, that's Jesus. The one who shared and gave his life for me. Meeting my greatest need, my deepest need on the cross. And if he did that, don't you think he'll also meet all your other needs in him? Share with others, therefore, as Christ Jesus has shared with you. Do you know the story of Christ's eternal sharing with a sinner like you and me on the cross? Have you experienced that story in a way that gives you power, that gives you generosity, that gives you joy, that gives you an eagerness to share sacrificially, committally, relationally, and mutually with those around you. Do you know that secret? Share with others, dear friends, as Christ has shared with you. Let's pray. We're asking for your help, most of all in this time, that we would see Christ 
that we would know the sacrificial sharing of our Savior on the cross. Drill it into our hearts, Lord, that we might learn to share like you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing.